reading today that's called Jesus Calms a Storm. And we might need Jesus' help later on today according to the weather forecast. So this is Mark, uh, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and there were waves breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But, <clears throat> but he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Thank you, Narelle. That was lovely. And uh, thank you, Matthew, for the kind introduction. Before I begin, um, these words that were printed, I think, must have been a, a godly vision, maybe, Matthew. So I'm actually going to start with these words from It Is Well that were printed. Grander earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of his voice. Seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you and it is well with me. I think that's so fitting for what we're about to look into this morning. Um, I would introduce myself, but I have no need to now. Uh, but if you don't know me, my name is Mark. Um, I'm actually currently studying. I'm a student at BCSA. I finished exams last week. Uh, I've been watching this new Storm Chasers show on Netflix. Uh, it's a reality show about Storm Chasers. Uh, and these people, they're in America, of course, and they go chasing after these big tornadoes. They literally tear up everything in their path. The US, I did a bit of research on this, has 1,200 tornadoes annually, with Oklahoma, Kansas, and northern Texas being the most prone to it. I don't know about you guys, but I'd feel pretty uh, nervous living in that belt somewhere along there. One of the obvious things though that this show highlighted for me is when something seems too big for us or too powerful for us, our primary instinct is to run um, or it's to hide. Some of those bunkers are pretty special. But for these few people that this show is about, their primary instinct is to run toward it and they do this in an effort to capture it on film. They want to study it. They want to see this awesome power in action. These people are in awe of the raw power on display. But they are still terrified at what is happening. Uh, that's one of the honesty things that comes out, is they're actually scared. They want to push through this fear enough that they can have an experience that brings them close to the storm without actually being in the middle of it, because that's dangerous. This made me think I often enjoy watching storms from the safety of my lounge room window. But what if it wasn't safe? 
If I saw one of these large tornadoes coming, would I try to run to escape it? Or would I stay and would I hide? Or would I look for a way to conquer my fears? And would I want to capture it on the fringes somewhere? Honestly, I think I'd be enjoying it up until the point when I felt threatened by it. I think as soon as I felt that I was in danger, that I could be hurt or killed, I would worry. I would want out of there. If I had a bunker, I'd be locking it tight and hiding in it. Regardless of how I felt though, I'm reminded by scripture, my response should be shaped by my faith. Today's story is a short one, and so is this sermon. Because the main point of the story is actually a sweet nugget of truth. It will reveal for us how we should respond to fear when we have faith in Jesus. We heard in the Bible reading the story of Jesus and the disciples as they got into a boat and they crossed the Sea of Galilee. Jesus often did things very unexpectedly. On this occasion, nighttime had settled in. It's easy to picture this as a daytime event, but it's actually in the evening. He said this to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. You might be wondering over the other side of what? Well, Jesus wanted to travel to the other side of Sea of Galilee. His disciples, being fishermen, had no problems finding a boat or navigating the waters. And so Jesus' request is apparently quite normal, except nighttime is not the usual time for crossing over. The seas get very rough and it's dangerous as we already know. This lake is 13 kilometres wide and it's 21 kilometres long. It gets to about 45 metres deep at its deepest. However, it's still classed as a fairly shallow basin to cross. A gnarly storm in this sea is scary, especially for a little wooden boat, a little wooden fishing boat. If you Google Jesus fishing boat, you can actually see a wreck of a fishing boat and it would fit on this stage. Uh, I thought about getting you guys a picture, but I'm glad I didn't because apparently that wouldn't work. Uh, but I do encourage you to Google it, check it out. Historians like to hypothesize that it was actually Jesus' fishing boat, but there's no way of knowing for sure. It's good though, it gives you an idea of the size and the shape and, and what it might have looked like. But for now, I want you guys to cast your minds back. Go back a few thousand years ago. Picture a scene of Jesus hopping in this small wooden boat with the disciples. You will realize there were no emergency beacons, there's no life jackets, or much of anything to keep you safe. If the boat capsized, you might have some fishing gear, maybe some nets or some wood you could hold on to. In the boat, you may have had some tools or blankets or provisions, but there wasn't much. The request Jesus makes of his disciple, though, is seemingly not unusual, as other boats tag along. But what is alarming is that their teacher falls asleep. And he stays that way while the boat is heaving up and down. You can imagine the wind and the water spraying in their faces as they fight to keep the boat afloat with waves crashing over the side. The disciples panic and they wake up Jesus, wake up, not knowing what else they can do. Then Jesus stands up and he commands the storm to be still and a calm settles on the water. The wind dies down, maybe even a ray of moonlight would break through the clouds. Everything is safe once again. So you have something to compare this with. Um, picture our own Lake Alexandra here in South Australia. Has anyone been on Lake Alexandrina? Oh, we've got a couple. 
Excellent. Well, it's actually it's 37 kilometers long and it's 21 k's wide, so it's a little bit bigger. Um, and it's actually only four and a half meters deep. So there's a lot less water in our lake. If you sailed across it, though, it would give you an idea of what sailing across a lake that size would feel like. Many years ago, I got to sail a portion of the lake, which is what made me think of it. I was with a mate in a little two-man wooden sailboat. And I can tell you, it was a blast. I had a great time. We were going so fast across the water, the spray would flick up and it would drench your face. And you could drag your hand in the water as you went along. And there was a little bit of chop in the sea. And the boat would pick up and it would skip over the chop. And you're almost like you're getting air. Uh, a bit like a ride at the show. If you ever get the opportunity to go sailing on a lake, I want to encourage you to take it. It's an amazing experience. And for me, I, just, I really enjoyed it. Um, but however, for the disciples, this experience would have been the opposite. They made a living off the sea. They knew the Sea of Galilee so well, with all its treasures of constant good fishing. They knew its dangers because it funnels hot air through the cold mountains that surround it. This effect of hot air kicks up the water into a huge squall with mighty waves and the storms that have been recorded are well known for being huge and dangerous. You've got to pick your times fairly carefully when you attempt to cross this sea. All these factors go into the story here and they seem to show us that the disciples would appear to be justified in being afraid. It's dark, wet, cold. It's dangerous on the sea. These guys, being fishermen, they knew about this lake. They knew what they were in for. And they didn't seem much afraid when they left the shore. But when the storm kicked into gear, it scared them. As I was writing this, I was actually reminded that we had our own pretty amazing, or terrifying, depending on where you are, storm last week. I don't think we've seen much like that in South Australia for a few years. It knocked out power for days for people. It's uprooted trees, blew over signs, and it flooded many homes. Many people across the east of Australia have been facing these sorts of storms for weeks now. And there's actually a lot of flooding, uh, which isn't easing, and continual rain. But we might all of us attest that nature can be a powerful beast, almost with a mind of its own. Um, especially if you watch these storms come in, you kind of wonder, how does it know where to go? Like, what is it thinking? It almost looks alive. We come to realise pretty quickly, we're tiny specks. When you look at the power of a large storm front and it's coming in, we actually rely on the houses that we've built or the cars that we're in to protect us. But one of the glaringly obvious things that we notice is not every house or every car can stand up to a mighty storm. So I'm quite thankful that here in SA we actually don't see worse. I do think we need to remember that God is sovereign. He is in control when things seem out of control. One thing that we saw with our Bible study today or Bible story, is not until the disciples are in the middle of the storm and the waves are crashing over the side, threatening to swamp the boat with fear. It takes hold of them. It grips them. Fear actually comes in many shapes and sizes. I can think of a couple of times in my life where Jesus has called me to big changes. There were moments where fear could have taken control. One of them was leaving Adelaide to go live in Canberra in 2008. We moved 14 hours away with no support and a young family. It was an occasion to fear the unknown. But fear doesn't have to be attached to a big event. Sometimes it's the small things that we fear the most. For some people, it can be striking up a conversation with a stranger. For some people, this anxiety can become so debilitating they have a fear of walking out of their front door. 
There's a type of fear you feel when you go for a job interview. It has its own invasive ability to uncover who we are in front of complete strangers. In the course of 40 minutes, if you can't relax or ease into the interview, you might find your nerves are so shot, no amount of coffee is going to bring you back. We fear quite often the unknown. The what-ifs and even the fear of missing out can drive us to make poor decisions. Have you ever noticed that the fear of missing out is never more real than during a massive sale? Or when you see the last pack of toilet paper get bought and you wonder, where will I find some? Who would have thought that would be a fear until like COVID hit and it became a reality? You know? So these fears, they don't have to be scary to be any less real. Sometimes it's in the little things that we find fear has crept in and it's slowly taking hold. But sometimes fear is still in the big things too. Another real life example, I had a bit of a chuckle at this one because it's not me, but the other day five lions escaped their first fence line at the Taronga Zoo. Um, I don't know if you know, but they actually have a second fence line as well and two cubs made it past that fence line. Um, they all returned themselves Interesting enough, there was a line of guards with stun guns ready to shoot them if they made it past the second line. Um, but you can imagine if you came face to face with a lion. Fear can be a rational response. Or it can be an irrational response to a situation or a threat. Also on fear, one of the things I've noticed lately is there's an enormous amount of fear about what the financial markets are doing, especially in America. I watch some investors on YouTube and they talk about these financial markets and money and they're all preparing for the worst right now. I think it's important to ask, regardless of what causes fear, what should we do when we're afraid? I often find that I slow down and I think through what I hope are rational responses to fear. I look for practical solutions. I know this is different for everyone. It's actually part of my training and my background. That's something that I do. Um, but some people, right, will rightly so want to turn and run. There are moments when I wanted to turn and run. Uh, there was one time I did. This is when I was younger. I was a little kid and I was actually playing with my neighbours in their backyard. And then the back door opened and the mother, she actually let out one of their greyhounds. This greyhound came out the back door and saw me and it ran straight towards me and I ran straight away from it. I had to jump on its kennel. Um, to this day, mum doesn't know how I jumped on its kennel. I think fear <laughs> drove me to that. But also, um, eventually the owner called her dog back inside when she realised um, that we were playing in the yard. But I think the Lord had his hand upon that situation. I was too young to really know how to trust in God, but afterwards you can bet I was thankful for not being eaten. I have to wonder, if I had been in the boat with Jesus, sleeping at the back, or he's sleeping at the back, without seemingly a care in the world, and we're all about to drown, how would I respond? I think I'll go out on a limb, and I'd say probably no different to that of the disciples. I'm pretty sure I would be very much like, hey, teacher, wake up. We're about to go under. But I don't think that Jesus wants us to respond that way. When he wakes up, his first words are to command the storm. He says, be quiet, be still. 
And in the response, the storm dies down. This is amazing. I know if I was standing there getting ready to jump ship or grab some wood to float with, and Jesus just stands up and commands a storm, I would be speechless. It's not often I'm speechless, but I'm pretty sure I would be. I can only imagine, as he turns to the disciples to say something, they're going to be expecting a word of consolation or comfort, or even encouragement, or maybe some valuable teaching. What Jesus does, though, is appropriate, but it's also surprising. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? This is the main point of the story, and this is what Jesus is driving at. How is it that the disciples have enough faith to trust in Jesus to embark on a journey, but not enough faith that he will see them through it? I'm not sure I would have expected that as a response from Jesus if it were me and you in the boat. Jesus, who would have been our teacher, would turn around to us and rebuke us for not having enough faith. I'd be thinking, but Jesus, that storm was going to kill us. We were going to sink and drown. I, I, I feel like I'd want to justify my fear. The disciples' response is seemingly quite valid because it would be our response. They were afraid. They could feel the storm threatening them. They were living through it. But it was also irrational because Jesus was in the boat with them. If Jesus was lying in the boat, unconcerned with what was happening, then why should his disciples be afraid of the storm? Maybe it's because they didn't yet understand who he was, who they were in the boat with. Here is a man sleeping in a time of great danger. And in fact, this is the only time in the New Testament that we read that Jesus was asleep. So it shows us the humanity of Jesus, that he needs rest and he's able to sleep at a time like this. He's actually pretty tired. He's been teaching the crowds and the parables and he's preparing to go across the other side of the lake to go and teach more people and to teach more parables and to do miracles. But then he gets woken up and he has to show the disciples a power that they haven't seen before. This is a wake-up call to who he really is. He is God incarnate. He's made flesh. And he is the person who called these men to follow him. Only God can control the powers of the earth in such a manner that can, he can command a storm to be still. No other being has the right over creation to demand anything of it unless God enables him to do so or her. Such as Moses when he passed the Red Sea. That was one of the few examples I could think of. In one short story, the author of the Gospel, Mark, shows us the complete humanity and divine sovereignty of Jesus. In such a way, he is declared to be both human and God. Jesus commanded the storm to be still, and in doing so, he's revealed that he has the power over creation. That he has revealed this to his disciples, and they are in the boat with him. Then there is a significant shift in attitudes of the disciples. They change from being afraid of the storm, because it's no longer there, to being terrified at just who Jesus is. It says in the Greek te text that they feared a great fear. That's where we get the word terrifying from. This shift of this attitude from while we are in danger, which seems to be a normal response, is 
clue is this. This shift has become a greater, more respectful fear of God. And it's in response to who Jesus is. The disciples said, I quote, Who on earth are we standing in the boat with? Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. If I'm in the boat with Jesus and the storm comes, what should be my first response? I don't mean by way of a literal boat. What if life seems too tough? What if I'm anxious or afraid of how people will respond to me? When I'm in the middle of the storm, my response should be to stop, to breathe and to seek Jesus. If I look to him through all of my troubles, then at least I'm looking towards what really matters and I'm relying on him to get me through. Fear doesn't need to take a hold of me or cripple me, but it can motivate me to trust Jesus more, to rely on him and to seek him. I've been walking with the Lord now for over 20 years and just like the disciples, it takes time to work out who Jesus really is. They called him teacher, but he was clearly much more than that. If you've never heard of Jesus before today, then you too might be wondering, who is this man, Jesus, that Christians talk about all the time? Well, as you've seen, he is more than just a man. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one who saves people from sin. Jesus is the one who calms the mighty storm and he is worthy of our trust. When we put all our faith in him, what can truly make us afraid? Do we fear shame or sin any longer? Do we fear rejection or hurt from others? Do we fear pain or the struggles of life? These things may happen, but why should we be afraid of them? If we have Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, I ask you, what is left to be afraid of? Except perhaps the mighty power of God. There is a fear that brings out reverence for our God, but that is a healthy acknowledgement of the mighty awesomeness of our Creator, in God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that disciples in the book of Mark have shown us that fear as a response to who Jesus is, is a reverent and awe-inspiring fear at the mightiness of God. We still acknowledge today, reverent fear is the right type of fear. So I'll ask you, where are you right now? What are you afraid of? Are you in the boat? Or are you following along in another boat? Or are you standing on the shore waiting to hear more about Jesus? If we're to follow Jesus and he is with us, we do not need to be afraid. Whatever storms might arise, he is the calmer of that storm and he is our Lord. When it seems we should be afraid, then it's time to pause and pray. We should seek out Jesus first. Your problems or storm may not be uh, still straight away, but your focus will be in the right place. He is the one that can bring you peace and comfort in times of hurt and trouble. He is the one that drives out fear and he enables us to live without fear of what this world may bring. I actually heard a great tagline in a song this morning and it said, even in the storm, I will worship him. My question for you today is to think about how will you respond to fear in your life? Remember, Jesus has shown us that faith drives out fear. So put your faith in Jesus.
and I think I'm acknowledging who he is, it's a good time to move into communion. Um, if the helpers could come down, we're going to prepare to serve. As believers, we acknowledge Jesus has given up his life as a ransom for sin. He paid a debt that we could never pay. He took on all the sins of the world that we might know salvation. He gave his body on the cross and he was buried to be risen again three days later. That tomb was found empty and he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father. This is what it means to remember Jesus as we take communion. We remember God's promise of a new covenant. It's a covenant of grace. We cannot earn or buy it, but we're given it freely when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important as believers and as followers of Christ, we take the time to revere him and we ponder upon him as we eat the bread. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, I ask you not to participate in communion because it symbolizes the togetherness and union of the body of Christ. It's his family gathered together that makes up his church and is unified in the body and the blood of Christ. Please feel free, eat the bread as you choose, but hold on to the cup so that we all might drink together in unity with one another. Feel free to make your way forward from the front and uh, the steps are rather steep. I think it still bears mentioning, so just be careful. And gluten-free option is on this side if required. <laughs>